Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Thank you for joining me at the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to excel at work, even though they have young children. And I am thrilled today to have a guest with me, Michelle Callen, who is a lawyer, just like I am, with a young son. And I'm going to let Michelle, you introduce yourself and tell the folks a little bit about what you do. Great. Um, So I am a senior associate at a law firm called Paul Weiss. It's a big New York-based firm, and I'm in their D.C. office. I have a three-year-old son named Gabriel. We call him Gaby. And my husband is a doctor. He is finishing a fellowship, his second fellowship, this one in surgical pathology at Hopkins. We live in D.C., so he commutes over to Baltimore daily, and he's on call every three nights. I am an eighth-year associate at my law firm, so I work essentially nine to seven in the office. I rush home to put my son to bed and then log back on afterwards and work off until midnight. So our daily routine is, is a little bit hectic. We have a lot of balls in the air, but we're, we're doing our best to juggle it all. Yeah, I know that. I know you guys are busy. And just for those of you who don't know, and if you're outside of the you know, the, the lawyer community, you have no reason to know. But Paul Weiss is a, a big law firm, a very high-profile law firm, and you guys work on some pretty intense cases. That, isn't that right? Definitely. So one of my – we work for, for some of the biggest companies that folks kind of know of. So the firm represents Exxon in a number of matters, MasterCard, uh, the NFL – uh, so pretty much kind of the, the, the biggest companies, you know, we represent them in, in their larger litigations. And I tend to serve the role of basically next up to the partner. So managing uh, both speaking with, with the clients directly and the partners and then man- uh, managing teams of associates as well. So so it's, it's a bit hectic. And then we also do a ton of pro bono work. So I write a lot of amicus briefs at the Supreme Court level or courts of appeal in big cases. I, I worked on a case in a brief in the whole women's health case, the most recent Supreme Court abortion case, and just a bunch of, uh, of uh, cool pro bono opportunities. So we, we Keep that in the mix as well. That's great. I, mean, my, I know your son might be with you. My four-year-old daughter, Lucy, is with me, and she just walked in to ask me what time it is. It is 11.30, Lucy. And there she goes, back to Dr. Mustafa. Yeah, no, you've got a lot, of, a lot of plates spinning, and I'm glad to have you on the show to share your perspective. Why don't you just tell us again an overview of your parenting story and share with us uh, any details about if you had always planned to be a parent, what has, how has it been for you, and how did you get here to be on this show? Sure. So I think I had always wanted to be a parent. My husband said he could have gone either way initially, and now he can't believe that he said that, knowing our son. We were actually high school sweethearts, and so we dated for quite some time before we got married. We, we had been dating for eight years when we got married at 24, and then we waited five years before we had our son. But we were still pretty on the young end for doctor lawyers to have kids. So... And and kind of everything went according to plan until when I was 34 weeks pregnant, it didn't. <laughs> and my water broke and, and we had a preemie on our hands. So 
so Gabriel decided to enter the world on his own terms and has since made pretty much everything on his own terms. It's, it's made the predictability of our life a little less under our control. But it's also been really fun. I'm fortunate enough that my firm, it's not my current firm, but it was a prior firm, similar type firm, though big New York based. I was in their LA office when my son was born and I had a very generous maternity leave. So I was out for a little over five months at home with my son. My husband, by contrast, was a resident and he had no leave whatsoever. So luckily our son was in the NICU at the same hospital where my husband worked and he stuck out to try to spend time in the NICU with our son. But it was hectic, and it still pretty much is. Our son now goes to preschool uh, Kensington, and he's about to move to another one near our new house. So we have preschool, and then we have a nanny who picks up and also sometimes helps in the morning. So we've been just every day taking it day by day. We were at UCLA. That, that's where my husband was doing residency, and our son was in the NICU there for two weeks. Um, and after that, we, we came home, and I was on maternity leave for a little over five months, and then I headed back to work. We did this crazy conglomeration of three nannies and two grandmothers who would switch around uh, schedules with, with me managing all of them, in addition to my job and trying to temper everyone's expectations and keep them all happy. One of the, one of the little-known facts about family help is that it's helpful, especially financially. Grandmothers tend to have a lot more opinions than nannies, Um, so so true so sometimes my husband calls family time you know it's not the same thing as vacation he calls it community service often (laughs) I found myself doing a lot of community service I love that it was great to see him have time with his grandparents and and know them uh, and be familiar with them and then uh, when he was about 15 months old we moved out to DC where my husband started a two-year fellowship at NIH, the National Institutes of Health, and I moved to my firm's DC office. Uh, a year after that, I moved to a new firm, and our, our son started preschool. We had a nanny in addition to preschool who did pickups because one thing I didn't realize until becoming a parent was that there are all might be all these daycare resources, and they close at six, which sounds reasonable. But if your daycare is near your work and you have a commute, I have to leave at 4.30 in order to be able to pick up my son, you know, guarantee that I'm there at 6. So when both parents are working full-time jobs, it requires both paying for full-time daycare and for part-time nannies, which tend to be expensive. So we quickly discovered that good child care in either L.A. or D.C. costs in the range of around $50,000 a year, which, which is challenging with student debt and mortgages. So that's kind of been our life. Our son's about to start a new preschool near our new house that that we recently purchased. And uh, we have a fabulous nanny and we visit grandparents, but they are no longer part of the day-to-day childcare uh, situation. So it's been doable, but by no means easy. Yeah. An observation and then a question for you. I, I mean, I, it's so funny. Like, I, I always, uh, and our, you know, both sets of grandparents, uh, for our kids are involved, which is fantastic. You know, but I always am under the illusion that when one of them comes, when, you know, one of our grandparents, that's grandparents comes, that, that we're going to get a break. And, and while our, the grandparents are certainly well meaning, our kids seem to ratchet up the crazy to match how many hands are there. So, like, nobody gets a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that much more, that, that much more to say. Not that I don't appreciate them coming, but we certainly, we certainly do. Let me ask you this. What was it like 
having a husband who's a doctor when you're going through that. I, I mean, my father is a, is a doctor, he retired now, and, you know, there was a double-edged sword when there were always medical issues because um, it was helpful to have an expert, but sometimes he was thought he was too much of an expert about different things. What, I, what was your experience? How was it having a husband who's a doctor going through that? It's funny because I think in some ways it makes things both more worrisome and less worrisome, at least from kind of a doctor's perspective. And I know that's confusing, so I'll explain it a bit. But our, in terms of having a healthy son, which thankfully, and I should have said this up front, our, our son is perfectly healthy despite being premature. He's great. He's small, but that's probably because I'm small. And he's a bad eater, but that's normal for kids, I think. So part of having such a, a healthy kid is that I think a lot of times doctors, once you're healthy, they will just not not look at any medical thing as significant because their baseline for what needs medical care so extreme. So, for example, my husband diagnoses leukemias and lymphomas for a living, and he'll come home and, and has made these horrific diagnoses of children our son's age. And so the fact that our son has had, and I'm totally going to embarrass him now if, you know, he hears this podcast years down the road, but he got these warts from being in a pool, and he's had them for over a year, I keep asking if we need to take him to see a pediatric dermatologist, and my husband's like, no, he's a healthy kid, he'll be fine. Point of, uh, of reference for, for parents who think that those weird shirts that you put kids in when they go swimming kind of look funky, I didn't put him in that because I wanted him to look cute in his swim pictures, and the result were these nasty warts that he got. Apparently, they're in pools, and that's why all the good parents actually have their kids in his so, for those of you new parents, <laughs> wear the shirt. Wear the shirt. <laughs> You're a perfectly good parent. It is. It's hard not to beat up on yourself sometimes. Well, let me ask you how. And you, you and I talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast. But you know, what is your perspective on? You, know, you were already at least you know a number of years into your career um, before you had Dave. How was that? affected you? I mean, I know you listened to the, the first podcast here. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I, it was a real eye-opener just because I was used to, which I enjoyed doing, you know, work, 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 being hyper-prepared for everything. And, you know, I didn't have anything else by other than myself to care for. And it was a real, it was impossible to keep up that kind of pace and be involved in my, in my kid's life. What was your perspective? I mean, how did it affect you and your career and your ability to work and how do you deal with that? I don't know that I think it's a constant struggle and I don't think I, I have a, a clear answer but I was surprised how I was still very much invested in my work despite having a kid and I think by, by contrast my, my husband feels a lot more torn day to day than I do like his his heart after having a child is more at home than it is at work, although I think as he his work situation improves, that changes. But I was told all along, and maybe it's because I come from such a gendered background, that the moment I had kids, I would no longer care about my career. No one ever told my husband that, by the way. But I I feel just as motivated in my career. I For my son, I, I want to be somebody that he would be proud of and and he can look up to also from a career standpoint. So the balance day-to-day is very difficult, but I definitely still do feel very motivated to do something fun and exciting with my career. 
day to day, it's it's just really a challenge and really a struggle. It's hard enough when he's healthy and doing well. And then when he's sick and I have to miss doctor's appointments or if someday I'm going to have to miss sports, you know, events and plays, I think that's just going to be really challenging. I try not to think as much about what my son's up to while I'm at work because that makes that makes it more a little more depressing. So I try to kind of be at work while I'm at work and be at home while I'm at home. The problem is with today's technology, and I'm a super, you know, respond to every email immediately kind of person, um, it makes it really hard when I'm at home and I'm getting work emails because then I have to, I get whiplash from shifting from mom mode to lawyer mode. I frankly haven't figured out an answer other than the fact that I'll be sitting reading a book and I tell my son one minute mommy has to answer an email and I kind of take a moment, answer the email, and then turn back to him. And you, you're still full-time, is that right? Yes. Yeah. What is it like when you, because you travel quite a bit, is that right? I, I travel here and there if we have depositions because I've done primarily traditional civil litigation and also a, a decent amount of appellate work. That's a little bit more predictable from a travel schedule. The folks who do some of the internal investigation work or FCPA type work, they travel a lot, and I frankly have no idea how, how they do it with the family. It's difficult. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that's true. For the, for the extent that you did have to travel, I mean, were you, and again, share as much or as little, were you breastfeeding or pumping, or how was that like in your workspace? Oh, when, when I was nursing, so I was never kind of one of those, before I had my son, I, I didn't really have much of a position on kind of nursing in public. If anything, I felt a little awkward about it. And then I noticed that that when when my son took a little while to be comfortable, be able to nurse, so I pumped for a long time um, and then continued at, when I went back to work. But I did it at work. It was a bit of a battle at my old firm to actually make sure that I was able to get the lock on the door and then make sure that people didn't walk in. And then I did have to travel a couple of times while I was still nursing with the pump without my son. And uh, if you ever want to see some fun looks to get the reaction of TSA people looking at a breast pump going through the machine and then not seeing a baby, the, the idea that if the baby was with you, you probably wouldn't need the pump didn't really seem to make a lot of sense to them. And then another kind of point of advice for parents who are going through this, uh, they won't let you take defrosted ice packs with you. You have to have them frozen. If they're liquid on the inside, they confiscate them, which happened. So I, I did travel a couple times while I was nursing, and I got into this kind of routine of having the frozen ice packs and getting milk frozen at hotels so that when I was flying back, the milk was frozen because if it's defrosted, they take it away. So there is this struggle you have to go through and then getting an exception to have a medical device so that you have an additional carry-on. Um, there's a science to it. Yeah, it's, you know, you, it's, it's, you would think that we're in the 1950s. Come on, TSA, like you're... <laughs> How many women are traveling with breast pumps now? But I hear those stories all the time. I mean, another example, if if women ran the world, you know, those sorts of technical difficulties would be easily resolved. Did, did I don't, You know, I have heard of services, I can't remember which company used it, where they actually will ship your breast mi uh, milk back for you. Have you heard of those or did you ever use anything like that? I have. I, I don't think that it was available to me at the time, or if it was, I, I, I didn't use it. But that, it sounds like a great idea. There is a comfort, though, of kind of like having it with you. 
I don't know how to explain it aside from the fact that that parents who did kind of have freezers full of milk can appreciate but the, there's this proprietary instinct over it like where it's this just precious gold that that you don't want to give up and so I've heard horror stories of like freezers like stopping to work and a whole freezer full disappearing and so there's some, this not irrational instinct to want to keep it near you um, and maybe this is kind of the working mom feeling but I, I actually uh, nursed a little bit here and there up until my son was 15 months which was much longer than I ever expected but it made me feel like I was part of his life day to day even when I wasn't physically there so it was almost like a, a safety blanket in some ways where I'd have to get over a little bit of that to like put it in someone's hands to transport it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense, and it really is like gold in many ways. Just given the difficulty, uh, you know, just the, all the technology and things you have to drag with you, and you know, because my wife breastfed all of our children and then pumped when she went back to work, and you know, she was wanted to keep her milk supply up for as long as she could, and you know that you can only do that for so long, and so you just never knew, no, no, you never knew when it was you know, when that was going to, she was going to stop. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was like, it was like gold. You know, we, we kept in the special place in the freezer and I completely understand that. Let me ask you what it's like, you know, you're a you know, hard charging associate at a big firm. Any thoughts on you know, people in a similar career trajectory? Because obviously you haven't made partner yet, um, uh, but you're still early on in your career. What's it like in big law? you know, associate versus partner or having a child? I think that's a humongous distinction that is still being understood in a lot of ways. So it used to be back in the day, 15 years ago or so, 20 years ago, that folks made partner around seven years into time at a firm. So, you know, if you kind of do the math, that meant that around age 32, if they went straight through, people made partner. So a lot of people waited to have children until after they were partners, which then meant that they had a lot more financial resources. And nowadays, though, it takes 10 years plus at big firms. A lot of people take time off. So um, the possibility of, of having children or, and, and the possibility of having children while you're still on the younger side, that that's just not realistic. So there are a lot more folks who are having children as associates. And while our jobs pay extremely well, given the amount of student debt people have and the fact that childcare does cost, you know, good childcare does cost around $50,000 a year, give or take, it's, it's very challenging. A lot of partners I've spoken with who have children are like, oh, well, let's say they go to trial. They say, oh, it's difficult. It's really difficult to go to trial and I'm really busy and I bill 300 hours a month or more. But, you know, the way I've made it work is I just bring the nanny with me wherever I am and get an extra room for the kid and the nanny and at least get to see my kid here and there, which all sounds well and good until you kind of try to price what a hotel would cost, you know, for three months. <laughs> and paying for the nanny, it's just not, for us, it's not financially feasible. I think for a lot of associates who are doing it on their own, the types of things that work for partners are very different than what works for associates. And so there is this kind of divide in terms of how you make it work on an associate salary versus a partner salary. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, my, as I mentioned, my wife has been in a number of big law firms, still is. And 
you know, she was always interesting, and it's still largely this way. I'll be interested to get your perspective that folks who were partners at her firms usually had somebody at home. And they were still, I mean, this is obviously changing, but it's still, you know, the partnership ranks were mostly men, still still are, but certainly when and we had young children. And, um, and even ones that were within our age group, or maybe a little bit older, you know, they often had the stereotypical, I mean, arrangement with the, the the wife at home who took care of all the details. And even though, you know, they were well-meaning, they really didn't understand really what it was like to try to get work done. Yes, maybe they had to go home and do some work, uh, you know, and the kids were around, but they had their wife, they had their nanny. I don't know. There were just some things, you know, I forget. One partner said to my wife, you know, she, my wife works a part-time schedule and is, and is home on Fridays. Although there's a practical matter, that means she still gets a lot of phone calls. And but, but she can be home. But a partner was trying to schedule a conference call, and and Anne was like, "Well, I'm going to be with my children then." And he's like, "Oh, well, just you know, just do the call, the call with them." And she, she was like, "You don't realize how impossible." And they were young, young kids. I mean, like toddlers. Like you know, you know how it is. You left, leave them alone for for. 15 seconds, they're either gouging each other's eyes out or trying to stick their thumb in a socket or there's just endless opportunities for mayhem. And, and she was, you know, he, he was well-meaning. You know, he was trying to figure out a way for her to do this call when she could be home with her kids, but he didn't really have a perspective on what it was like to try to, you know, how some, sometimes impossible it is to juggle those two. It, definitely. And I, I mean, I think, and that's one of the things I'm so lucky with my husband having his crazy schedule and then also doing a huge share of the childcare. He really, really gets it so that if either of us is trying to work, we really like try to keep our son fully occupied because we know that there's no kind of keeping a foot in both doors. We were, we were driving to New York for a work event and I had a couple conference calls and my son was kind of great the whole car ride, just looking out and he doesn't sleep in cars, which is an unfortunate thing for <laughs> But um, I prepared him. I said, mommy has these calls, you know, just keep listening to your music or for whatever reason, he knew that I needed him to be quiet during these calls. So the entire time I was on these calls, he was screaming bloody murder from the back seat, trying to get my attention because he knew I needed him to be quiet on those calls. So there's just something about kids where they know how to get their parents goat. And if it's a parent who cares a lot about career and, and wanting to do a good job, they will do everything in their power to get the attention on them. So maybe I just have a particularly uh, exciting child, but I, I suspect toddlers just in general are, you know, it's one thing to have a 10 year old be in a room like doing his or her own thing. It's another thing to leave toddlers to their own devices or be in close proximity to them while, while trying to talk. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, it's not just you. We, we experience much the same. Let me get your perspective on something that I think about, and that is that, you know, the great fortune to be able to have a healthy child, you know, I you know, the reason for this podcast, I've, uh, you know, of course, is to talk about the challenges and opportunities for trying to keep your career on an upward trajectory when you have a child. And it's certainly very difficult. And those are very real issues to deal with. But I'm constantly trying to remind myself or having to be reminded like the people are, I mean, I can understand somebody listening to a podcast like this who is struggling to get pregnant or who has a special needs child and thinking, 
I can't believe you guys are even talking about this. Do you ever have that thought or that perspective? All the time. I mean, I so before I went to law school, I actually double majored in undergrad. One was philosophy, but the other was a, a, a major I created in disability studies. And I focused particularly on, on kids with autism and, and high-functioning autism. And so when we were thinking about having a child, it was something that was very high up on, on my mind. Um, my husband and I also are first during undergrad, we spent a summer working at a camp for kids with disabilities. So being around people with disabilities is something that, that is really important to me. And so also knowing the statistics about the likelihood of, of having a healthy child, but then also the likelihood of child, of complications, you know, just knowing the numbers and the data quite well heightens that, that as a possibility. And every day I am so thankful that, that my son is, you know, I mean, he's, he's challenging and that I can't give him an answer that's not, you know, not logical because he'll call me out on it. But I'm so lucky to have that as my challenge. So we try to be thankful. And, and if we do have other kids, it's something that we know is, is a possibility that we need to prepare ourselves for. So I, I really... I think, you know, some of these sorts of podcasts and these sorts of conversations are akin to some of the conversations that took place surrounding Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In and how her book only applies to a certain population of people. There are people out there who have challenges that I know that I can't even fully comprehend. And I really applaud what they do every single day because it makes my challenges look like nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is a privileged conversation to have, an important one, but a privileged conversation to have. Now, I know that you you are heavily involved in the Women's Bar Association here in D.C., and you are doing some things around parenting with that organization. Do you want to talk some about that? Sure. I got involved with the Women's Bar Association when I moved to D.C., and I co-chaired two committees last year, and I'm on the board this year. And it's been just fabulous to see other you know, working moms and working parents, but women's bar associations, primarily women. And I, so my mom stayed home full time. My mother-in-law stayed home. I come from a community where kind of a very middle-class community where pretty much all the moms stayed home and the ones who worked, you know, may have worked here and there, but didn't have careers. So to be around other women who had careers and had families and are passionate about both, it's it's really a privilege. And there are just such fabulous people involved in the organization. So it makes kind of the day-to-day struggles. There's a place to go, you know, to ask. I'm having this struggle with, you know, transporting my pump or, you know, and they'll say, well, here's like the TSA rules that say that you're entitled to, to bring it as a medical device or just concrete issues that come up. They give, they've been there and, and they can give specific, they can both be a good, you know, ear to hear problems and kind of relate to them, but then also give truly helpful solutions. Yeah, no, I think it's a, and it's a fantastic organization. I'm glad you're doing that work through them. Do you want to speak to any challenges? And I know we talked about having your husband on the show, and I hope we're able to do that at some point, but that your, I mean, that your husband has faced in, you know, having a child and being a man with a child and doing some of the drop off and, and those sorts of things. I think in some ways he's, he's faced more challenges than I have. I think people at work understand a mom leaving early to pick a pick a kid up. They can be a little less understanding of a dad doing that. So he did most of the drop-offs when he was at NIH. Now at Hopkins, he's really not able to do much of either. But even still, there'll be some days where he's just not, not as productive as he would like to be. And so he 
heads home to cook dinner and see our son. And I can see, you know, it's very challenging to him because the other fellows in his program don't have children. And I think a lot of the attendings also, the ones who do have children, made a point of prioritizing their careers over their families in a lot of ways. And so they're also a lot less receptive to a dad who's choosing to put family at such a high priority. So there's a lot of stigma now that dads face that I don't, you know, we talk a lot about what the challenges moms face, but I think there's a lot more conversation to be had about what dads face trying to really be involved in their families. No, I think that's right. And there's been some interesting research done that, you know, men get a actually get a boost when they are applying for a job if it's clear on their resume that they have children, whereas women are often penalized. But once they are at work, if they do something more than just have a picture of their family on the desk, if they try to take time away, if they take, you know, even the leave that's allotted to them under company policy, they are in some instances punished for that because I think the unwritten, for some people, this is true, not to certainly for all workplaces, but the unwritten rule is, is that, you know, we like the virile family man to be at work, but as soon as he kind of breaks that mold and actually wants to be at home, well, then that's just not cool. And I think that's still that's still a factor for a lot of men. Definitely. And it's something that, well, obviously need, needs to change, but also people who are so focused on, on women's issues and resources for moms and, you know, feminists in, in general, it's not possible. I mean, especially, you know, for, for a, a heterosexual couple to be able to have a mom who has a full forced career without a spouse who's contributing a lot. So even from a purely feminist standpoint, it is in feminist best interest to really help support dads because I just don't think that this life is possible without support from both parents. And, you know, and the more important thing is, is that there shouldn't really be a distinction between you know, if a, if a mom or a dad wants to spend time with his or her family, the, the fact that the person is female or male should not impact the, the ability to do that. And a lot of firms and companies do have these policies that on paper might seem generous to parents. But a question that's important to understand before embarking on those jobs is to know whether or not those resources are truly meaningful. And I will say my, my current firm, I've been so impressed with the support that they that they provide, especially dads. We had three, sorry, four dads who took pretty much the entire leave, which is around 18 weeks, after their spouses came home. So their spouse would take the initial leave depending on you know her job, how long it was. And then the dads took almost 18 weeks off as well. So hopefully we get to a point where, where that's just something that everybody gets. I think that's right. I think it is it is changing and you we do see men who are not or at least not as reluctant to take that leave and that's important because there've been a number of, you know, there are articles and studies recently that men just don't I mean I think it's they self-police. They even if the leave is available, they don't feel free to take it either because either because that's their own they've internalized some of those own restrictions or the company is giving signals that they shouldn't take the leave. But I think that's I think that's changing some uh, not as much as I think there was a great hope that millennials in particular Millennial men, because they, they, unlike, you know, my generation X and certainly the 
the baby boomers where there was a more entrenched expectation that the, the man of work millennials would express sympathy or, or support for men taking leave. But it's been interesting. There, there was a study recently that millennial men, once they start having children, start assuming more traditional gender roles. But I do think we're seeing some of that change and we're seeing more men taking you know, taking that leave because the research certainly certainly shows that children benefit by having both parents involved. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know that about millennials. And it's curious, you know, it's interesting to see as society evolves to kind of see where we go. I mean, one of the things that comes up a lot at the Women's Bar Association, and it's something that, that I've been thinking about a lot is when I was growing up, the expectation was that a lot of these gender differences would disappear by the time, you know, my generation was in full force in their careers. And I think a lot of people have been surprised to see how it hasn't, that we've reached this stagnation. So for example, 20 years ago, I mean, for the last 20 years, women have made up 50% of law school classes. And yet the percentage of female equity partners or female partners in general has really not, it is nowhere near 50%. I don't know what the statistic is in terms of whether this is an equity, non-equity distinction, but at, at a certain segment of firms, it's something around like 8%. So we're really not progressing as a society when it comes to gender roles. And I think parenting does play a big part of that. And I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. And it's something that definitely is on my mind as, as a senior associate, somebody thinking about, you know, whether or not partnership is something that, that is in the horizon. A lot of the women that I've seen make it work have a spouse who stays home. So in some ways, they take on the kind of traditional dad gender role. It's hard to find role models where both parents have real careers and are able to stay full steam in their in their careers. So if anyone listening to the podcast is one of those couples and <laughs> wants to develop a friendship, <laughs> don't hesitate to reach out. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the points of the podcast, right? Get, get more people on who can talk about their experiences like you are, because it is, it's tough when you've got, I mean, I don't know any, and again, lucky to have the opportunities that my wife and I have had and our friends who are similarly situated, you know, who are, you know, they've had the ability to go to law school or medical school or some professional degree and have a career to even worry about. But it is certainly true that, you know, we have a number of friends where they're dual career couples and, you know, with, with, with children, and there's just no question that it causes a lot of strain not only on your career at least for a while you know kids they do have the bad habit of growing up and becoming more independent so it's not forever but they do cause strains on career and on marriages i mean it's just it's just tough and and it's tough when my wife and i find it difficult that you know it, regardless of whether it's the man or the woman if you've got somebody who is clearly staying at home or clearly is the front line for taking care of the children at least the lines of demarcation are clear. I mean, you know, in our house, if one of the kids is sick, it's like jump ball. <laughs> you know, who's, who, who's staying home? Who's, you know, particularly if our nanny can't be there or if one of us needs to be involved. It's just, you know, it's a constant negotiation of, well, I've got a conference call. Well, I've got to travel next week. Well, I've got to, you know. And it's not as if the one who gets to work is necessarily the winner. A lot of times it's one of us wants to be the one to stay home, particularly my wife and feels you know, like, again, maybe some of the internalized gender roles, like she, like she should be able to stay home. She should be able to do that. But nevertheless, it's an, it's just an energy drain when you have to be like, okay, who's up today to take care of this? Pits, you know, a, cu a couple against each other. And so then also trying to make sure that the lines of communication are such that 
that, you know, you remain a team is, is challenging because if you layer on top of that, the exhaustion that comes with, you know, these careers. So the time that I take to drive home during traffic and put my son to bed, is time that I have to stay up later to finish my work into sleeping hours and same with my husband. So then you layer that stress on top of severe sleep deprivation and trying to be kind to each other you know, is, is more challenging than, than is ideal. And so, and then, you know, then meanwhile, trying to stay good to your parents and friends and siblings and all that. I mean, it's, you know, this is my excuse if I'm ever, (laughs) if I'm ever mean to the people I love. I wonder if, you know, maybe the takeaway is just because I like to watch some less high stress TV sometimes. So I do watch a lot of, you know, TLC and the Duggars. And for those of you who don't know, they're a family in Arkansas who have 19 kids. And I don't even know how many grandkids at this point. But, you know, one of the trick and and Tom, I I know you've got significantly more kids than I do, but also significantly less than than the Duggars. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yes, we only have four. (laughs) Is that it appears that you get to a point where the older ones start taking care of the younger ones. And so, you know, that, you know, that might be a good solution to all of this. Outsource to another family member. That's the way to do it. <laughs> exactly. And maybe you feel a little less guilty when it's like the older of your own children taking care of the younger ones. Oh, absolutely. It's just payback for them, right? I mean, you know, it's time for them to step up and start contributing to the family. Yeah, well, I think the only drawback to that plan is you got to have enough kids for that pipeline to, to work. And, and we're cutting ours off. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, as the mom, I'm like, I don't know that I'm willing to contribute my share of that plan but who knows maybe we just solved the whole the whole challenge it could be maybe that's all that it takes (laughs) i first want to thank you for being available this has been very helpful and i really enjoyed talking to you but is there anything else in parting that you want to share or that you might tell a a younger michelle before she had children things that she she should know I think to share to other parents out there is that, you know, we all put this facade on Facebook and on the walls of our offices of all of us smiling in these professional pictures. And nobody actually posts the newborn picture of of the baby, you know, peeing all over you while you're taking that adorable, like, naked photo or... You know, of the number of horrible pictures of the kid, you know, sticking his or her finger up your nose while you're posing in front of the beautiful DC monuments. And I think that I think that there's value in sharing the realities of parenting and the challenges. And for every person out there who looks like they have their lives together, I haven't met anyone who does. I don't. And I'm happy to share the trials and tribulations. But just know that this is such a struggle. I, I have no clue how folks do it with multiple kids, but but we're doing what we can with one. And every day is a, is a new struggle, but also really a new joy. There's only you know so much that you can prioritize really your work and only think about your work while still being present for your kids. And, and they just put everything in perspective. So I'm so thankful to have the challenges I have. And my life is a constant battle to stay awake and stay on top of everything. But I don't think I'd have it any other way. And I just want parents to know that there's a group of parents who can are always there and available to kind of be a resource. And I'm happy to do that for any folks who need that. Well, that's great. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for uh, for coming on and talking with me today. 
and I will uh, let you get back to to Gabe and, and your busy job, and hopefully we can have you back on again sometime. Once you get it all figured out and you have all the answers, <laughs> you can come back. Okay. Uh, okay. After 18 more kids, I'll give you a call. <laughs> there you go. Sounds like a plan. All right. So Take care, Michelle. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.